Teachers and Parents Empowering Mastery-Oriented Learners Mastery-Oriented Learners are motivated by building competency, by becoming competent on a task. They tend to be intrinsically motivated rather than driven by extrinsic rewards or the fear of punishment. Mastery-Oriented Learners want to learn for the sake of learning rather than for grades or teacher or parent approval. Mastery-oriented learners believe that ability is changeable. That's what's been labeled as a growth mindset. In other words, if I can't do something now, that's not a fixed situation. I can change my ability with practice, repetition, more trial and error learning, and of course, with input or feedback, from someone else who does know how to do what I want to learn how to do. Mastery-oriented learners believe that failure is part of eventual success. They persist when learning is difficult, and they adjust their effort to the particular situation. My personal example of that is when a piece of furniture delivered from Ikea arrives at the house. (laughs) That's not an easy task for me. I know that in order to be close to successful, I need to slow down. I need to reread directions. I need to check after each step. It takes much more effort for me to put together a piece of furniture than it does to produce this podcast. If you think of a learning continuum, and on one end of that continuum, we placed mastery-oriented learning, At the other end of the continuum, we might call it self-limiting learning. Self-limiting learners believe that ability is fixed and unchangeable. I can't do that, so that's a final condition. It's a fixed mindset. There's no value in investing hard work or effort as the condition won't change. Self-limiting learning frequently causes people to see failure as fatal or an indication to give up rather than to consider another approach or to increase the effort. Self-limiting learners frequently select tasks that are easy or they develop avoidance behavior, things that can prevent them from having to have their performance evaluated or from having to perform in public. Self-limiting learners believe that being successful is outside of their control, and they learn to blame others, situations, or conditions as the reason for not being successful. Now, you've probably figured out by now that all of us are mastery-oriented learners sometimes and self-limiting learners at other times. The key is knowing the behaviors that we are implementing or adopting so that we can change a behavior if the outcome is important to us. As a personal example, I'm not real handy with repair jobs, either around the house or the car. I would label my ability as low, and I usually take on a self-limiting behavior. I'd rather go work extra hard on some other job in order to earn the money so that I can pay someone else to do the repairs. Now, my technology skills were pretty similar to my repair skills, 
But learning how to make a podcast brought out my mastery-oriented behaviors. I called people to get help and advice. I used a trial and error process learning from my mistakes. I had to build practice sessions into my work. I was reinforced and I increased the effort as I began to see initial signs of success. Knowing mastery-oriented behaviors and being able to choose to implement them is key to being an empowered learner. So what can we do as parents and teachers to empower our learners to be mastery-oriented? As usual, modeling is one of the keys. How do you demonstrate mastery orientation when you're working on learning something new or gaining new information? Do you watch the video on YouTube about how to replace the washer in the faucet? And then with parts lying in the sink, you go back to watch it again. When you do so, what are you saying? Are you saying this is impossible, self-limiting, or are you saying, I must have missed something? Let me watch this again, mastery-oriented. I worked in one school where all the teachers posted a picture of something they were currently working to learn on the outside of their classroom door. This frequently led to conversations with students where teachers could share their struggles and the processes that they were implementing to model being mastery-oriented in their learning. Listen to Dr. Amanda Jansen as she describes an environment for promoting mastery-oriented approaches for learning math. Her comments are taken from an earlier podcast I recorded with her about her book, Rough Draft Math. Well, I, I have to say the, uh, the the title really nails it <laughs> because as soon as I heard the title, I, I knew that it had to mean you aren't finished. And people, you know, math is finished uh, concept where you pretty much start that writing task knowing it's going to take a, a couple of drafts and a couple of rewrites and you might even change your mind halfway through it and come from a different direction. So uh, I, I think the title speaks speaks great. So then it works well with kids too, right? So if you say to a student, I just want to hear your rough draft about this, it does a lot of things. It sort of re- reduces, takes the air out of the pressure balloon, right? Like, oh, I just have to say whatever's on my mind. My rough draft's going to be okay here. Yeah. And you can talk with students about how do we learn anything? We make an attempt. We make sense out of what we tried. Then we try again. This is how we learn a lot of things in life. So why can't we learn math that way? And so asking students to share their initial drafts, talking with them about why that's a useful thing to do to share your drafts. It just creates this safer space where whatever you have to say, we're going to try to learn from it and it's going to have value and it's going to have merit. And you're going to have a chance to then revise that idea. You're not going to be frozen in time by whatever you say right now. You're not going to be judged for being right or wrong. We're just trying to figure stuff out together. What impact are you looking at that having on on student uh, math performance? Yeah, so it does a few things. 
Um, for one thing, it helps students have a bigger view of the discipline of math. What is mathematics anyway? What does it mean to know and do math? Whenever I talk about rough draft math with mathematicians, they say, well, this is what we do when we are trying to solve a problem that we're not sure about. We, we try it. We think about what we've tried. We try again because we don't know what the answer is going to be or what the solution is going to be or what is the appropriate proof or argument. And so students rethink what math even is. So that's one really positive outcome. Another is that if students are asked to talk or write about why math makes sense, like explain why something is true or define a concept, it changes the learning goals from you're, you're doing more than trying to get an answer quickly. You're trying to understand a concept. So students have opportunities to develop more of sense-making and conceptual understanding if they're being pushed to draft and revise their thinking. So the nature of knowledge opens up to be more than procedures. You definitely want students to calculate correctly, but you want them to understand why it's working. And so rough drafting allows you to get into that space of why something is true. And then ultimately, students are developing more positive identities because they start to see the merit and value in their emerging ideas that their thinking has potential and that people can learn from their emerging imperfect, unfinished ideas. And so they feel more valued as a thinker and learner. And then they're more persistent and they're more willing to put in effort because they realize that their thinking has merit and has strengths in it. And people are not used to that in math. People are used to feeling like they're either a math person or they're not. And that's not true. Everyone is a mathematical thinker. So we want to create environments where they can recognize that they can think mathematically. You can find the link to that whole podcast in the lead-in to this podcast. I believe it's a great example of encouraging kids in a mastery-oriented approach. Another strategy that can be helpful is to define effort for your learners and then ask them to assess their effort at the conclusion of a learning activity. Now, in order to assess effort, students need to have some elements to look for in considering how much effort they put into something. Here are some of the key indicators that you can share with your learners. First of all is time. How long did you spend on the task or activity? To put in effort generally requires time. A second item is repetition. How many repetitions did you do? How often did you practice that same piece of music? Third, I call do-overs. A sign of effort is a willingness to go back and start again, to do the task over in order to increase the success. And the last element to look for is patience. Patience is a sign of effort because frequently our initial effort does not have payoff. I don't tend to see the immediate return for the effort I'm putting into learning, so I need to be patient. You've all experienced this when you've gone on that seven-day diet, and at the end of seven days, you got on the scale and did not see a payoff for the effort that you had put in. So you need to have patience. You need to stay with those same behaviors for a longer period of time. That's why patience is an indication of effort. So you're looking for time, repetition, 
do-overs, and patience. After defining effort, you can now ask learners to assess the amount of effort that they put into a particular task. Let's say on a scale of one to five, five being high, how much effort went into this task and explain why you're giving it that score. Now, explaining is an important part of this strategy. You see, a child could tackle 10 math problems and have solved none of them correctly, but they could put a five as a high degree of effort because the student tells you that they attempted each of the 10 problems, they watched a video clip to try to get some extra help, they called a friend for help, but she wasn't home. So the effort could be high, even though successful completion of the task was low. Now you can flip that. A student could have done all 10 math problems correctly, but their effort could be low because they already knew how to do the problems and all they had to do was apply the formula. Part of being an empowered learner is being able to decide when the task is worth a high degree of effort. Avoid indicating to your learners that every task they tackle should be approached with full effort. You see, if you stop to think about this, Sometimes you just straighten up a room and consider how that compares to when you're doing a spring house cleaning. A conversation with learners before they begin a task could consider how much effort they plan to put in, why they plan to put it in, and what specific behaviors will it take in order to invest high effort. Some teachers ask students to place an effort score on their work, along with a description of why they gave the score that they did. That's a great strategy to implement from time to time to bring about these important conversations. These conversations can advance students' mastery orientation and their empowerment as learners. One last thing to consider that we can do as parents and teachers is to be conscious of our language and our learner's language and continually build in a switch from self-limiting talk to mastery-oriented talk. I can stop and replace this doesn't work with I need to try something else. We can assist learners in rephrasing a statement like, I'll never be good enough to make the jazz band edition in the fall with, I'm going to need to build in a vigorous practice schedule throughout the summer in order to make that jazz band audition. We can replace a statement such as, there isn't enough time to learn how to do this with, We need to create a schedule that gives us enough time for trial and error learning. Be sure to replace a statement such as, what a great report you've written, you're really smart, with what a great report you've written, I can see the effort that you put into your research and your writing. Conversations and modeling mastery-oriented learning 
need to be part of the conscious component of teaching and parenting. It does take effort on our parts. It'll take time. It'll take repetition. It will take do-over. And of course, it will take patience. The payoff is worth the effort. Thanks for listening in. I'd be happy to respond to any of your questions or to continue a conversation. Know that you can always find me at barclaypd.com.